The Behind the You podcast is brought to you by UFIT. Train together, win together. Introducing UFIT Gyms as the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Ready to join them. All it takes is a dollar. That's it. Let's go Canes. All right. Maybe, quite maybe, my most special guest in the history of the Behind the You podcast, because it's very personal in a good way. Andrea Adelson of ESPN joins me to talk Hurricanes football, ACC football, media rights deals. We might take a trip down a friendship history lane here at the end, Andrea. Thank you for doing this. A pleasure seeing you. I'm happy that you've uh, you were given permission to join me here on the Behind You podcast. If I was not given permission, there would have been a problem. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I had would to you've gone here. rogue. Would you have gone rogue? <laughs> Are my bosses listening to this right now? Can I honestly say what I would have done? No, but in all seriousness, I was so happy when you asked. I love you. We've been friends for so long. Canes have a very special place in my heart. I'm from Miami. Yes. I covered Miami. Uh, so this is a thrill. A lot of good stuff surrounding the Hurricanes, Andrea. So I just want to ask you very simply, when all of this went down, a.k.a. the hiring of Mario Dan Radakovich, your take on this was what? After I got over the shock, to be honest, because I really did not think this day would come until the moment it actually happened after having watched this team and covered this team and then covered them again as part of the ACC coverage at ESPN. I never thought Miami would have the type of all-in investment that we have seen. So my initial reaction after the shock wore off was a plus home run hire for both the head coach and the athletic director. But now it's time for everybody to come together and give them both the support that they need for Miami football to be successful. And what I mean by that is Miami football has these periods where things are going really well and then they're not. And then they are, and then they're not. And when they're not, there's outrage that tends to <laughs> you don't fill say the zone. You don't say, so to speak. So the second things don't go well this season, because there's probably gonna be a time things don't go well, right? I mean, no matter how good you are, it's gonna happen. I just want there to be the type of support and understanding and patience that Mario and the players and Dan Radakovich and the administration deserve right now until they have everything in place for them to win at the level that they believe they can win at. Can maybe you could do this because I, you know, I get tired of, uh, of doing this and it, I think it might be good coming from a different voice, especially a voice like yours, who's a national voice now, not the voice that I used to sit in their living room with and watch uh, TV shows, but uh, <laughs> but but maybe you could lend some credence to what an all what all in like you just said all in right all in support what that looks like and means like at the highest levels of college football so that maybe people understand what Miami has been up against where they're trying to get to and what this kind of new era should signify. Well, obviously, there's the financial component, right? Because not only is the university now investing, but they're gonna need support from the fan base and boosters and donors to accomplish everything that they want to accomplish when it comes to a standalone football facility that's bigger than what they have right now, when it comes to making the indoor the proper 100 yards that it needs to right now, when it comes to attending games 
and filling the stadium and having a good home field environment for everybody, not just for Florida State, not just for Virginia Tech. All right. So speaking of Mario, two, two, two prong question. The first is you've got to spend some time with him, I assume, since he has been hired. And I just want to know, and did you interact? Were you at, uh, I'm sure you were at ACC Media Days, right? So I'm sure you saw him there too when you were down here in the spring. So what he said, what your what conversations you had that were really enlightening relative to just his vision for what he wants to get done. So I'm going to rewind to October of last season. I did a round table with players from the 2001 national championship team. Ed Reed was there. Bryant McKinney was there. Joaquin Gonzalez was there. Brett Romberg was there. Jonathan Vilma was there and DJ Williams. And this was to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Miami. And one of the things that struck me among the many that we reminisced about and talked about was what it took to win at Miami when they were there. The hard work, the competitiveness, the physicality, the players pushing each other, the players never wanting to let up, the players establishing the culture and what it meant to be in a Miami locker room. And so many of the things those players said are what Mario is saying right now. Mario was on championship teams. So Mario knows and understands for Miami to get back to a point where it is in position to win national championships, all of those characteristics that Mario understands that those 2001 players understand, they have to be there for Miami. And so For me, listening to him say all of that reminds me of when Miami was in a place where not only were they unbeatable on the field, but they were unbeatable up here mentally because they felt that they had the edge over everybody else that they were playing, not because they were going to be physically better, which they were, but because they were in everybody's heads. The opponent thought, I don't want to get this from Miami today. So the fact that Mario is now preaching that with players who don't understand that because they haven't been in that because it's been so long since Miami has been a place like that is a great sign right off the bat. The fact that so many of those former players were at Mario's introductory press conference, great sign right off the bat. The fact that they're there in the spring, in the fall, they came back for the camp in June, great signs right off the bat. The next part is for the players to believe and for the players to buy in and for the players in the fourth quarter not to give into exhaustion and fatigue the way we've seen recently, but to have that edge over the opponent and to not give in and to not quit and to find the competitiveness around them as a good thing, not something that can divide a locker room, which we've seen in recent years. So everything that Mario has said, everything that he's preached, is hitting all the right notes to me. I want to know once the season kicks off, whether the players are responding to that in the way that they need to respond, because that's the only way Miami's going to get to a place where they're in the heads of their opponents and they know that they can win every game. You know, this is this is a two-headed monster, right? It's Mario and it's Dan Radakovich, right? That was the, those were the big moving parts that came to the university. And clearly, you know, if Miami's chasing anyone in the ACC, they're chasing where Dan came from, right? They're going to be chasing Clemson on a lot of different levels, on and off the field. So from your time covering the ACC, from your time being around Dan and even Dabo, just how did they accomplish what they did at 
Clemson. And there, and I asked that for this reason, why that should then excite the Miami fans that this is the guy now running the show at the University of Miami. There's one word that comes to mind and it's synergy. And I know that sounds like kind of foofy little word here, but I thought you, thought you could have gone with culture too. And then there would have been, you know, right, right. Two buzzwords, right? Two synergy buzzwords, right? I say synergy because everybody at Clemson from the top down, from the president's office to the football coach, the athletic director to the football coach, they were on the same page at all times in terms of what they wanted to accomplish with the football program. Miami has that now. Miami has not had that. So Dan comes from a place where he knows what it looks like. He knows what it means for everybody to be aligned together completely, working toward the same goal and working toward the same vision. The facilities and the investment in the facilities at Clemson were a huge part of that. What Clemson has right now, they did not have when Dabo Sweeney became the head coach there. Yes, they had the stadium, but they didn't have the indoor practice facility. They didn't have the standalone football. Uh, obviously, they didn't have a slide in their football facility, right? All of the improvements that have been made are because Dabo and Dan made a strategic decision that this is what they needed to do to be able to compete on a national level. Dabo recruited his butt off too, by the way. And, and that was a huge key as well. But the fact that there was not really a lot of pushback from the president's office when they kept coming to them, this is another capital project idea we have. Now we want to do this. And now we want to do that. Every step of the way, it was as long as you can get the funding to be able to do it, we will make sure that it gets done. And I've had conversations with Dan since he's been at Miami about what that looks like. And it's not saying that there's never any pushback, right? Of course, there's going to be a little bit of a give and take. But the fact that people at Clemson understood that if we make football a priority, that opens up so many doors for the university as a whole. Look where Clemson is right now. They've, they're recruiting the country. They did not do that previously. And they are so much more recognizable than they were 10 years ago. And I will give you an example of that. I was just at a ESPN college football preview meeting. We heard from our social media team. And one of the slides they showed us was the top 10 teams in terms of fan engagement. And Clemson is in the top 10. 10 years ago, they were ranked number 40. So that just indicates where football has taken Clemson as a whole. It's not just the fans in South Carolina now that want to interact with Clemson. It's fans across the country. And everything in that university has been elevated. Not only have they been able to help football out, they have built facilities for other sports. They've started a softball program that now has to expand their stadium because it's so popular. They redid their basketball arena. They are getting more students from across the country who are applying to go to school there. And in my last conversation with Rudy Fernandez, one of the things he talked about was this, that you're able to open doors to so many other places when people see football spotlighted the way that it was at Clemson, 
And hopefully, I think the way that Miami is going to do it right now. Where people see football. That's going to come up later in the podcast, where people are watching uh, football in this day and age. Since you since you have you were tapped into to the conference, what do, what, do you, what are your thoughts just on Clemson this year? No Jeff Scott. I'm obviously he hasn't been there for a few years, but, you know, coordinator defection. Venables is gone. Tony Elliott's gone. Jeff Scott had left previously. They've recruited like crazy. Their defensive front is ridiculous. What's the vibe out of, out of Clemson these days going into this season? This is a big year for Clemson because we have seen programs that have maybe had a quote down year. And I'm using that in air quotes because they still won 10 games, right. right? I mean, anybody in Miami would be thrilled with a 10 win season at this point. Right. But they didn't make a playoff and they didn't play for an ACC championship. And when you've set that standard to not do it, yeah, it's considered a little bit of a disappointment. They were four and three at one point last season, which is completely unexpected at a place like Clemson. If they don't get back to where people expect them to get back to, suddenly the questions around the program are going to get a lot louder than they have been over the last year. And then you get to a point where now, okay, maybe you're two years removed from a championship. And then what are people saying about you on the recruiting trail? How does that affect you there? How does that affect your players and your locker room? How does it affect the coaching staff? So that's why I say this is a crucial year for Clemson because Dabo made some decisions with the coaching staff that people questioned. He went in-house for his offensive coordinator, Brandon Streeter, and his defensive coordinator, Wes Goodwin, when maybe he could have taken an opportunity to go outside the program and bring in some people with different ideas, fresh viewpoints. But Dabo is a very loyal person. And Dabo believes in rewarding people who've been on the staff and who understand, you mentioned the word culture. Clemson has a very specific culture. Coaches who understand that culture. That's why he made those decisions that he made. These coaches are intimately familiar with the players, with the personnel, with what works, with what doesn't work. You have that, which had a lot of questions. And then you have the quarterback situation, DJ Uyunglele, which- Kind of, kind of hard to coach around bad quarterback play, right? It is, no matter who the coordinator right. is, right? Right, or the, or, the, or the program you have, or, or and the, the, and, the, and, and the success it's had. It's kind of hard to coach around quarterback play, bad Correct. quarterback play. And oh, by the way, the new offensive coordinator is the quarterback's coach and was the quarterback's coach a season ago, right? So again, lots of questions there. Is he going to look the way he looked last year when he threw more interceptions than touchdowns? Or is he going to look the way he did as a freshman in 2020 when he played in place of Trevor Lawrence, who was out with COVID? Nobody really knows. Dabo is convinced that DJ is going to rebound. He's learned from his mistakes. He's handled the adversity. He's dropped 30 pounds. And he's going to be great. And I think he's convinced the AP voters because folks have Clemson at number four right now. He's convinced the ACC media because the ACC media has selected Clemson as the ACC champ, including myself. I picked Clemson. And in all honesty, I was looking for anybody else but Clemson because of the questions I continue to have about the offense. But I have more questions about every other team uh, that is not named Clemson. So I went with what we know. And I went with Clemson, but I don't think it's a sure thing, slam dunk, that Clemson wins the ACC the way that it had been before last season. And that's why I say it's such a critical year for them. They rebound, they get back to a playoff, and last year was just, okay, it happens, right? We've seen Alabama not make a playoff. They've survived. They've been fine. What happens with Clemson if they don't? 
that to me is ultimately what I'm going to be watching for and looking for this season. I didn't have to commit as much time, but I did join you and David Hale on your on your spaces. <laughs> it was 10 minutes, so I owe, I owe you I owe you some. And <laughs> and this question comes up and it always comes up. It comes up to me. It comes up to you. It comes up to anyone around this program. What do you think is going to happen with the Canes this year? Are they going to win the Coastal? And then inevitably we always say, well, yeah, Miami's going to win the Coastal. And we know how, how that's gone. So I guess my question, I'm going to I'm going to try and frame this slightly differently. If I take my if I remove Miami from the conference, they are not an option. How do you look at how do you evaluate the coastal, uh, the other teams? How do you evaluate them? And and then we'll reinsert Miami and kind of compare. So if I got my ultimate dream for this season in the last year of the coastal division, it would be coastal chaos. Everybody go four and four. I feel that they owe it to us after watching the coastal for all these years. We need it to be totally off the rails, but I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think Duke and Georgia Tech are capable of winning four teams in the coastal division. So we're not going to even go there with those teams because I don't think they're an option this season in the coastal. So that leaves the others. And every team has a noticeable flaw or two or 10, depending on who <laughs> we're talking about, right? Because again, it's the coastal. So this is what happens every single year, but it feels more flawed than usual. So we'll go with Pitt, the defending ACC champion. I think they're going to be really good, but I also don't know how Keaton Slovis is going to do after what we saw at USC in his last year there, where he loses the starting quarterback job. Pitt is convinced that he fits in the system. They have a new offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti Jr. They're going to try and be more balanced in terms of establishing the run, which is something Pitt has not done in the last few seasons. Did, did, Coach, did Coach Narduzzi say something about that? I, um, I, think, I think he said something about that. Did he make reference I, to that this offseason? He, I think he may did. have ripped his <laughs> outgoing offensive oh, coordinator. Oh, is that, what it, is that how you describe that? It was a rip. Oh, okay. For, I, thought for it was a them, I thought it was a comment. Well, for helping them win the ACC, right. not not happy about it. They've got depth at running back. He, no, no, wait, 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 wait. He didn't but, rip him. He whipped him. He whipped him. Oh, <laughs> thank you. There we go. <laughs> well, they pay me to do this podcast. That's, that's it. So, you know, they've got depth at running back. They have a strong offensive line. I think they have one of the better offensive lines in the conference. Um, the question, of course, is quarterback and receiver, right? Without Jordan Addison. They, they lost the bulk of their production at quarterback and receiver. Heisman Trophy finalist, first-round draft pick. Everyone knows what Kenny Pickett did, although not against Miami, right? So, you know, there is that. Um, defensively, they're going to be really strong. Their defensive line is going to be fantastic. I think they'll be better at linebacker and in the secondary. So, okay, there's my case for Pitt. I actually picked Pitt, um, it, but we can save that discussion uh, for later. So that that's Pitt. Do they have a chance? Yes. Okay, next, North Carolina. Again, we're talking about the same things here. Quarterback situation, not sure what that's going to look like without – Sam Howell, they made a new hire at defensive coordinator in Gene Chizik, who hasn't coached in five years. Is that going to work out? Who knows? But they're talented. They've recruited at a high level since Mac Brown got there. So sure, put them in the mix. All right, now we got Virginia, uh, who always plays Miami tough, as everybody who's listening knows. They have a dynamic quarterback returning, but no offensive line. So what does that mean for Virginia? Also a new coach in Tony Elliott, who got criticized at Clemson because their offense was so bad a year ago. I don't know how they're going to look defensively. They were bad a year ago. Are they better? Does that give them a chance? They were right there at the end with Pitt at the end of the season to try and win the Coastal. 
Okay, Virginia Tech quarterback Grant Wells transfer from Marshall, just named the starter, but they've got they're one of those teams with the 10 question marks, right? Just all over the place. New head coach. I'm not putting them in the mix, right? So Pitt, North Carolina, and then I think Virginia with an outside chance to contend for the coastal. Those would be my three without Miami. So we put Miami back into the fold yep. and they slide into what spot? I picked them second. I thought about Miami for a really long time. But as you know, every time we pick Miami, we're wrong, except for that one time. Oh, so this is like some reverse psychology. Except here, for that right? one this time. Re- yes. Right, this is reverse psychology. <laughs> and it's funny because when I was talking to Mario in Charlotte, this was before the um, preseason picks came out. And this was, you know, no recorder, just a, a conversation. I'm like, you know, the media is going to pick Miami, right? Because I, I knew this is where it was headed. Right? The optimism, Tyler Van Dyke coming back, offensive line should be better, great depth at running back, right? Transfers on the defense that should make the defense solid again. And he looked at me. He's like, what are you talking about? Because, you know, Mario lives in his own world. And if he's not focused on recruiting or the team, It doesn't matter and it doesn't exist to him. So, of course, he has no idea that the chatter among the media is that Miami is going to be the preseason pick. And I said, yeah, you guys are going to be the preseason pick. And he literally like his eyes were like popping (laughs) out of his head. Like what? Like why? Uh, So, again, trying to explain the media process. And he was just not understanding why the media would do something like this to him in year one. But the fact remains, again. We say the same things about Miami almost every year. Most talented team, check. Good quarterback, check. Standout players on defense, check. The rest of the Coastal looking bad, check. Okay, it's Miami, right? And so I'm not surprised that Miami was the choice. I did not choose Miami for the reasons that I said. Will I be surprised if Miami wins? Absolutely not. They're capable of winning the Coastal, just like every other season we picked them. They were capable of winning the Coastal. What's going to make the difference for them this year? Preaching on those little things that Mario has tried to instill, I think is going to have the potential to make a difference for this team this year. If they play with more discipline, if they tackle better, if they don't have the dumb penalties that have become a trademark, if they are the better team in the fourth quarter, right? I know these are all things that Mario has emphasized from the moment that he got there. If those things take hold and this team is able to build confidence throughout the early part of the season, I'll not be surprised at all if they win 10 games. But to me right now in year one, that's a lot to ask. When you first got to ESPN, you were not covering the ACC, correct? Correct. Did you cover Louisville? Was Louisville in your in your yes. vortex? So yes, were you were, were you there? Were you covering them when Charlie Strong was there? Absolutely. So I look at Charlie Strong on this staff, and to me, that's like the biggest indicator of like something's different, right? Like the yes. talk about investment all in, like this the, the ability to have him as your co-defensive coordinator slash position coach is to me a sign of like if you want to talk about having the the resources to enhance uh, or, or or you know just put together a staff that looks completely different to me that's him so the reason why I just bring it up is just what you when you were around him back then just what you what you learned and then what you think of him being on the staff well my history with him goes back to Florida when he was the defensive coordinator Ah. there um were you you working for the alligator I no no not not that long ago okay (laughs) (laughs) 
But when I was working at the Orlando Sentinel, okay, okay. Uh, when I moved back to Florida in uh, was the DC? 2000, 2006, he was the DC. Yeah. Uh, for urban, right? For urban. Yeah. And he stayed on obviously um, through, through multiple coaches. Not only was he one of the best recruiters, if not the best recruiter on staff. He was a coach that the players responded to always. I think that is something that has been missing a little bit at Miami, quite frankly. You know, Miami hasn't had the type of staff that they have had right now. Never. This is the best coaching staff. This is the best assistant coaching staff that Miami has ever had. And Charlie Strong is just one piece of that. And so when I say that the players respond to Charlie, there's a lot of different reasons for that, right? Not only because he's a great recruiter, but I think he's a guy that the players can relate to and they want him to push them to be better because they've seen the results. Say what you want about his time as a head coach at Texas and USF. To me, that has no bearing on his ability as a recruiter and as a position coach. And when you look at the the players on defense specifically that he has developed throughout his career, they have been tough, physical, disciplined players. And if Miami can get that out of their linebackers this year, which we haven't really seen consistently enough, right? How many times have we heard the fans say, oh my gosh, if we could just tackle. Oh my gosh, if the tackling could just get a little bit better. I think they're going to be better in that area, largely because of Charlie. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. What he did at Louisville, that was the last time Louisville was a consistently good football program when Charlie Strong was there. He recruited South Florida, brought a pipeline from South Florida to Louisville. He got Teddy Bridgewater there from Miami and a bunch of other players from the Miami area. So when we talk about this mentality and mindset that Mario wants to have on the recruiting trail and what he wants on the football field, Charlie checks both of those boxes 10 times over. Honestly, um, I, I would respond to Charlie in part because I was at camp. I was on campus the other day and. Uh, we were. I was standing next to Joe Zagacki, and we were looking right at Charlie Strong, and I'm like, that dude probably could suit up and play today. Yeah, and he's like, got he's that stare, too, by the tr- way. He's a Mack truck. <laughs> he is. His calves and- are like boulders. His shoulders are, you <laughs> yes. know, they could they could carry, you know, they're, they're, the width of his shoulders, his chest is protruding, his calves are just, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, dude. I could never yeah. look like that. Yeah. But if you told me to do it, but if you told me to do something, I you would. I'm right there. I'm well, good. and he's got the stare to go with it. So you know yeah. that he's not messing around. Yeah. So I would respond to that too, I think. All right. Well, you mentioned quarterbacks, and this is actually pretty exciting for the ACC, right? It's a quarterback league this year, right? There's yes. a lot of there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this league, one of which happens to strap it up for the University of Miami. And he, as you said, he he's a reason for optimism. How how does Tyler stack up in your eyes with the rest of the group and just what this accounts for with Mario in year one? I honestly was surprised he was not the preseason choice for all ACC quarterback. I was a little surprised that that went to Devin Leary, although I'm sure folks think that was a North Carolina bias situation uh, because the bulk of the media members who vote in that probably come from the state of North Carolina. But 
I feel that Tyler was extremely deserving of being the first team all ACC quarterback on the uh, preseason team because not only of what he did last year, but now as we project forward, right? I mean, that's what he did on the fly, right? I mean, nobody expected him to play last year. The story we were talking about at this time last year was everything Derek King did to get himself back on the field, just eight months removed from knee surgery. We were talking about Jake Garcia before we were talking about Tyler Van Dyke. And now here we are, right? He's played a handful of games, basically being told, hey, buddy, we need you. Get in there. And he did a a tremendous job. So again, you project out, okay, that's what he did with no game experience, with no fall camp experience, right? Getting limited reps because you're the third team quarterback or you're sharing reps with the, the backup. So what we think he can do now with, all of this preparation that he's had throughout the entire off season, knowing that he's the guy, that this is his team, that he's the leader, that he is the one that everyone is looking at. And quite honestly, one of the things I love most about Tyler Van Dyke is he wants that. He wants to be the guy that everybody looks to. When he made those comments before the NC state game last year, I thought to myself, what is he doing? And <laughs> is Manny Diaz right now just in a room berating him for saying that against a team that Miami was the underdog against, right? For him to play the way that he played, and I was at that game, so I watched it firsthand, shows to me that he's a guy who has that it factor for a quarterback, right? You're going to say it, and you're going to back it up, and you don't care who hears you saying it. Okay, yeah, put me up on a bulletin board but I'll show you when we play what I'm made of. That is the old school Miami swag that everybody likes to see. And that's one of the intangibles that I love the most about this guy. Yeah, he can throw the ball, obviously. Yeah, he's a smart player. Okay, are there questions at receiver? Yes, there are questions at receiver. Will he be able to figure it out? Yeah, I think he will. So to me, beyond Mario, he's the biggest reason why people picked Miami to win the Coastal Division. Everybody was raving about him a year ago, and now we just think, how much better can he be with all of this extra preparation time? I think he's going to be that much better. You just mentioned something that uh, me and my my broadcast cohorts have, have have talked about, which is you know the North Carolina influence on the league, right? And this can go <laughs> a lot of a lot of different directions. But I was just looking, I was just looking through your. Uh, your, your Twitter feed get before we did this, just to like, see, all right, let, what, what haven't I thought of that maybe we could talk about? And so there was two things. One is, um, I guess you were on a podcast with Brian Fisher and I guess the conversation comes up about the future of the ACC and that they have some chips to play with, right? Miami, Florida yes. state, Virginia tech, obviously Clemson, right? Markets, brands and teams with histories. And I think the conversation went something like this. If you want your league to be good, support your teams that have the best chance of making it the best that can possibly be. So how does the league help themselves by helping out these teams, of which Miami is a part of? I guess first and foremost, A, did I capture that, the essence of that conversation that you guys had, and then maybe your thoughts on it and what, and, and what the others were, were sort of sharing in that regard? Yes, there's no question that the ACC needs Miami and Florida State and Virginia Tech, to a lesser extent, to join Clemson 
at the top. And what I mean by at the top is competing for championships every year, right? This is a league that has been dominated by basketball that is trying to flip a switch and say, well, hold on. No, no, no. We're investing in football. We're a football league. And there are only a handful of teams that have that history and tradition, Miami, Florida state, Virginia tech, and now Clemson. Right. And, and maybe North Carolina would be good, but they're bas- They've been a basketball school. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about basketball versus football schools. after Uh-oh, what happened no, at Kentucky. No, no, no. Okay? Hey, like, hey, okay. Watch it. Watch it. I do watch not it, need a Andrea. John Calipari situation right now. Watch it. Um, Hubert Davis, Matt Brown, throw down. <laughs> right. Um, but okay. Right. The, the, the four, Football tradition rich schools have to step up and and do their part. So what does that mean from a league perspective? Does that mean making things better from for them from a scheduling perspective, which I know has been a long running complaint, not just at Miami, but at Florida State as well. And this scheduling talk came up when they decided to get rid of divisions. Who's going to play who in their three permanent rivals, right? Florida State is sitting there saying, hold on, we got to play Miami and Clemson every year, and Miami doesn't even get Virginia Tech? What is happening, right? And, of course, they're not the only two schools complaining. Every school complained about who they were going to keep as their permanent rival because, oh, the league's not doing us any favors, and that's not fair, and that's unbalanced, and how could you do this to us? But for Miami and Florida State in particular, if you're the ACC and you know – we really need these guys. <laughs> we really, 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 really need them. Do you maybe give them a more favorable schedule? Now, they can't look like they're playing favorites, of course, because then they're going to get complaints from the other ACC schools. So it puts the ACC in a very precarious spot because they can't outright make those two teams have the easiest path to getting to an ACC championship game. But on the other hand, you think to yourself, what would be the best case scenario for the ACC moving forward without divisions? Oh, a Miami Florida state ACC championship game, which has never happened before, which was the ultimate goal when they added Miami in the first place to the ACC. So again, I'm not giving the league office any advice. I'm not trying to take sides here. I'm not saying what the league should or should not do. I just know what the complaints have been throughout the course of the history in the ACC it appears as if with this new model, things may be evened out just a little bit more because you are going to rotate through more of these schools. Florida State's not going to be stuck in the hardest division. Miami will see some of the teams from, from the Atlantic, and I'm sure it'll all work itself out. Obviously, the investment Miami is going to have now in football is huge. Florida State needs to get there. Florida State still hasn't broken ground on this standalone football facility they've been talking about since Jimbo Fisher has gotten there. Year three under Mike Norvell is going to be absolutely huge and critical for them. And they have got a very difficult schedule. You talk about the ACC not doing anyone favors, and I know no one's going to cry a river for Florida State here. But the way their schedule is laid out this season, they're basically playing all of the teams that were picked ahead of them in the Atlantic Division to start ACC play. So again, like, yeah, okay, we know they're going to play those teams in the Atlantic, but if you spread them out a little bit and try and even the schedule out with some of the teams that aren't projected to be as good, maybe that helps the situation, maybe not. So it's not like they're playing favorites to Florida State either. When you look at having to open ACC play at Louisville, a team that's going to be better this year, and then running through Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson all in a row. So 
Um, I don't know how the league is going to look at that moving forward. I think they're hoping that the schools with the investments that they have made and will continue to make won't need to have a favorable schedule to do it. They'll just be able to beat whoever's on the schedule. So I think that also probably sheds it's a whole nother discussion, right, about the future of the league and teams and this and that and everything that's happened with the ACC um, and the Big Ten. I'm sorry, the SEC and the Big Ten. Just where where do you think we're headed as a sport and where do you think the ACC fits in all of this? Well, it's interesting because the Big Ten just signed their new television rights agreement with Fox, CBS, and NBC. That's going to be seven billion with a B, billion dollars, but it only goes seven years, which means their deal is going to be up before the ACC has their deal up with ESPN. It runs through 2036. So to me, that's just an indication that we don't want to make this super long because we don't know what the landscape is going to look like here over the next seven years. And there is language in the contract that allows for some room if there is more expansion along the way. The SEC is going to be up before the ACC is as well. So when you look at those two conferences, which have consolidated most of the power and have most of the money coming to them in terms of television revenue rights, that puts the ACC in a situation where they don't have the power to control what is going to happen in the college landscape. All they can do is rely on their grant of rights, which keeps them together for right now through 2036. And for those who don't have a full understanding of grant of rights, it essentially means all of your media rights, the ACC controls them. Your conference controls those rights through the length of the contract. And it's not just the money that you earn from your media rights, which is going to be about $40 million per school in this next year. It's also television. You can't be on TV if you exit your grant of rights early. Oh, really? Absolutely. Oh, that, I didn't that's know that the, part. I didn't know that part. It's not just the money, right? The ACC controls your television, right? So if you leave and you pay the exit fee, which is $130 million, just the, just the fee to get out, right? You forfeit your television money, $40 million a year for the next 14 years. Well, you're also forfeiting your ability to have your home games and select non-conference games in all sports for the next 14 years. So this is why we have seen less rhetoric coming out from folks inside the ACC because they know and realize and understand right now there's no legal path currently to challenge the grant rights. They have to make it work together for right now. Does that mean this is what it's going to look like in a year or two if the Big Ten does something and the SEC does something? I don't know what the future is going to look like, <laughs> right? And no administrator knows. Yeah, Maybe if you're knows, Kevin Warren, right? yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. But the bottom line is this is a, a critical time for the ACC, but one that is probably a little bit scary because they don't have the power to control what's going to happen in this situation. The SEC and the Big Ten have the power and the money. And if they decide they want to be super conferences at some point, well, guess what? They're going to be super conferences. And there's nothing the ACC can really do to stop it. I think your, your pals at ESPN wrote, wrote an article about kind of reimagining the calendar for college football. And like, what it, so what, what, was it, what was maybe one of the more interesting things they threw out there that was like, oh yeah, that's pretty interesting. Bowl games as preseason games. That is my favorite idea. Oh, I like that. Of all, right? And, and in there- More was interest, the, more hype, more, yeah. more buy-in, more engagement, right? All of it. Players not opting out. You right. actually get to see players 
playing the game. Players it's will be like, opting in. Players uh, are opting in. Absolutely. You get a trip like that to start the season. You get to test yourself against a non-conference opponent. And by the way, if there is going to be an expanded playoff, which we all believe there will be, that non-conference game against your opponent, either it'll help you or it may not hurt you, right? Because if it's an expanded playoff, right. you got to feel, right. oh, we could drop right. a game and it'll be fine. So it makes wait, them relevant. Total, wait, so, wait, quick sidebar. Are you in or are you for or opposed college football playoff expansion? Well, you know, I don't, I don't like 12 because I think it's too many games for college players to be playing 17 unless they start giving them a cut of the money that they're going to be making off the playoff and these um, television deals, which is something I think is going to be coming wait, somewhere. Seven, we, you get to 17 on 12? If you're playing a conference championship game and a first round game. Like if you don't have a first round buy, I got you. Okay. Yeah. I don't love that for college football players, at least where things are right now. The bowl games are completely irrelevant, right? I mean, look at what happened when Florida had a, a good season a few years ago with Kyle Trask and they go to the cotton bowl and nobody played and got absolutely obliterated by Oklahoma. And again, I know nobody is shedding any alligator tears on this podcast, but they're not the only team, right? I mean, Pitt played without Kenny Pickett, and those were more comments that that Pat Narduzzi made uh, uh, th this past offseason. A, a lot of teams have gone through this. It takes away from the viewing experience, and it probably takes away a little bit from the playing experience, too, when you know you're going into a game and you don't have the players who got you to the point I like, where I'm in, I'm in on this. I'm in right? on this preseason bowl concept. It's, it's, I like it, it. It, it. That was my favorite thing. And again, we've got the calendar, you know, putting in windows for transfers, you know, reimagining what signing day looks like. I mean, there were, my colleagues did a phenomenal job putting this together. They just talked to administrators. It's not like they were just like, let's just throw this out. No, they, they talked to a lot of people. What do you think of this idea? What do you think of that one? The bowl one is my favorite. People were like, that. Ah, that's not going to happen because, you know, we're not going to do like preseason games in August. And how do you determine the matchups? Well, I mean, you just determine the matchups from the previous season. I don't really think it's all that hard. Well, look, they have, in basketball, they have all these, you know, tournaments that yes. they just invite the teams and people align and it just happens. And yeah, who, yeah. who gets it's, one, who doesn't? Conference, I mean, they have the interconference, you know, ACC Big Ten Challenge, SEC Big Ten. Yes. I mean, Come on, and we by can, the we way, can work through that. we can work if, through that. If COVID showed us anything, it's that you can schedule games on the fly. You don't need them scheduled ten years out, and it'll be right. fine. It really will be fine. Which I don't even like. I don't. I've never been for that, anyways. Yes. Like, like I've never like. Hey, we're our, our twenty twenty our twenty thirty four schedule. Like, why? Why are we doing yes. this? Why are yeah, we doing I, this? I agree. I agree. I'm but not, uh, so I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I can't do anything about it, but I'm in. No, neither one of us can do anything about it. And the administrators we talked to were like, nah, it's not going to happen. But it's nice to dream about it. Yeah. We'll yeah. start. We're going to start. All right. So I got to get you out of here in a second. So you referenced earlier that you had to, got to do the roundtable yes. celebrating the 2001 team. And I think you did an oral history. Yep. There was a sit down, which you talked about. And you also recreated the locker room. Uh, you had the guys and or many people recreate the locker room. Uh, that was the locker room at the Orange Bowl, right? That was the locker room on campus. Locker room on campus. Okay. Yes. Between all of those things, give me the uh, the story, the account, the person who like just told you stuff that you were like just you were just couldn't stop talking to them. Well, obviously, Brett Romberg and Joaquin Gonzalez are right at the top because yeah. they told stories that I could not use. Yeah, can't probably can't print that. But I, I want to create a scene here 
And by the way, Josh and I know each other because I covered Miami in 2000, 2001, and we became great friends all the way back then. And we've stayed friends through all this time. And so that remains a very special time in my life. I didn't make the oral history though. No, no, you did not. (laughs) No, you did not. Um, That's okay though. That's okay. You're still my friend. I I appreciate that. I didn't make the oral history either. I jumped at the opportunity to participate in this project because that time in my life, uh, it'll never, it'll never come again. Right. I mean, not just getting the opportunity to cover the greatest team of all time with the best roster of all time, but the friends that we made along the way, the camaraderie that we had on that beat, going through that all together, Larry Coker on Sunday, sitting in that wood paneled room, recapping the game for us. These are moments that I'll never forget. And so when our graphics team decided, the oral history part was the easiest because I just talked to people. Right. And one of my favorite people to reconnect with was Marquise Fitzgerald, who you remember was one of my favorite players on that team. That's right. uh, Because he was a great talker and he told great stories. He told great stories again. So it was a thrill to talk to him. Matt Walters was another favorite player of mine because he was always great and happy and told you what you wanted to know about what was happening. Mike Rumpf, another guy. Right. I mean, I'm basically listing everybody on the team, but. All those players, I remember, were just so accessible to us, so friendly that you have all these fond memories of what it was like to, you know, interview Ed Reed and do a cover story on him, right? Covered in roses because they were going to go to the Rose Bowl. And so getting to talk to him was was a thrill and reliving so many of these moments for the oral history and for the roundtable. ESPN giving me a chance to do that. Phenomenal. The recreation of the locker room. Whose idea was that? Why why was that? Why did that come to be? That was our graphic department's idea, completely independent of what we were doing for ESPN and ESPN.com, right? So when ESPN.com got word that graphics wanted to do something to celebrate this Miami team in a different and unique way, right? To illustrate the story by making it interactive. They said, well, we've got the perfect person to help you with this. And her name is Andrea. So I got looped into the graphics. I did not design anything. They printed out, okay, a blueprint. And I'm talking about an architectural blueprint of what we thought the locker room looked like based on documentary footage we had from the 2001 season because we did an all-access ESPN did on the 2001 team leading into the Florida State game. And the television producer found these tapes that were buried in a fire station next to the world trade center okay so i i I am like giving i don't know if i'm going too long here but like you're fine what 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 were they doing there okay so the backstory and this is incredible so the producer for the television the round table is is a big miami guy right and he knew these tapes existed because he remembered the 2001 all access with miami well The taping of that was outsourced to a different company. It wasn't ESPN that brought their own cameras down, which generally is how it works. You you outsource this to guys who have the equipment to do it. So he tracked down the company and the guy says to him, I think I have the tape somewhere, but I'm going to have to try and figure out where we put them. Right. So the fact that the tapes existed was huge. Like, okay, okay, we can maybe find these tapes. 
the guy finally reaches back out to the producer, John Fish, who's incredible, and is like, the tapes are in boxes in the basement of an old fire station next to the World Trade Center. If you want them, you have to come and drive and pick them up. So John, who lives in Connecticut, a producer for ESPN, gets in his car, drives to Manhattan, picks up the boxes, calls me from the car, like giddy, right? Like, because... He's got the tapes. He's got right. the tapes. And he can't wait to watch the tapes. Oh, but are so, these, these are like, they've got to be like beta or Viet, right? Yes. Yeah. Old yeah. Old tapes. Stuff. Like yes, they got to find a place. Tapes. They got to find a place to play them. Yes. So of course ESPN <laughs> has the stuff. Right, where of you can, course they do. Right. Why know, would I not? Yeah. So, so, so he goes to the office and he starts like email, emailing me tiny clips oh, of what he's seen. You got to send me I'm, some of this stuff. You got to send me some of this stuff. I, I will. They're in just incredible clips okay so john's vision was to incorporate those with the round table as the guys are talking show a clip of ed in the locker room right show a clip of joaquin goofing off or, or brett you know doing something wild and i was like this is incredible this is going to be amazing our graphics team got the tapes so that they could map out whose locker was where oh right that's why we did the campus locker room because we actually had video footage that right. could help us. Okay. They map it out. They get me these blueprints. Okay. Giant architectural. They're in the back over there in like a huge, like cylinder, right? Yeah. They get mailed to me from Connecticut. And now my job is to go to Miami with the blueprints. The weekend they had the re 2001 team reunion, go to the bar with them where they were having the <laughs> reunion, <laughs> lay the blueprints out on a table and get guys to confirm if their locker was in the correct location, okay? A few drinks may or may not have been spilled. Uh, there was some cigar smoking going on. A good time was had by all. And I was able to confirm almost every single locker and the shape of what the locker room was. And there must have been at least 40 players who were there who were able to take a look and and, and say yes or no. I also, during the round table, showed it to Ed and, and showed it to all the guys that were there. And there were guys who couldn't, like Ed was like, I think it was here. Like there were some guys who were not quite sure. And maybe it's because they were in NFL locker rooms. And so all the lockers start to run together. So we did the best job that we could to piece it all together. I had the help of um, some walk-ons who really clearly remembered where everybody's locker was. And so Jair Clark, who lives in Orlando now, was a walk-on on that team, hugely instrumental for me. I met with him in Orlando with the blueprints again, just to go over everything. He's calling teammates. Where's your locker here? So we were able to piece it together so that I could confirm for our graphics team this is where the lockers were. So wait, wait, where does this where does this graphic live now? I'm sure if you just Google. Search for Miami Locker Room Project ESPN. It'll come up, okay. I hope, because they spent months and months and they animated it. It's a 3D animation where it was interactive. You click on a portion of the locker room and my job, in addition to figuring out whose locker was where, which took a long time, was to have anecdotes from players sprinkled throughout. This is what would happen in this part of the locker room. This is any you know, bonus pay for this. Uh, it's all part of the job. And you know ah, what? Right. It was, a labor, it was a labor of love for me because of how special that team and that moment in time was, right? So while it took months and months and I had the TV roundtable and I had the dot com and I had the rest of the football season going on, I, I still wanted to make sure that that 
project and that locker room was the best representation of what it was because there were some funny stories that I didn't get in the oral history that could go in that project about, you know, the games they invented to play in there, you know, who had control of the radio, um, Marquise doing his squirrel dance. I mean, so many different anecdotes like that, that you can tell when you're giving a history of a locker room. Forget storytelling, but once it was all done, whether it was the round table, the oral history or the locker room, did anyone, anyone reach out to you after and just be like, just to like gratitude thanks just like oh my god i forgot you know what i mean like someone's like anyone look at the locker room was just like wow i'm glad you guys did well this. the good thing is nobody complained that we got anything wrong <laughs> so i consider that a win but you know the guy like jerome mcdougall was just you know floored that we had what we had there and we were able to intersperse some of those clips that i told you about in portions of the locker room where it was in the locker room. So it was just our graphics team. Luke Knox did an unbelievable job with that. Alicia Ham helped me out with the blurbs and the, it was a true team effort. John Fish, the producer, like I said, David Hale with the oral history, true team effort. And it is one of the things I am super proud of and nothing will ever change that. All right. Last thing in oral history of our friendship. <laughs> Rank these friends, West Wing and 24. Well, you know, West Wing Wednesdays, right? Has to be one. Correct. But I thought you were going to mention my dad and Jay Fiedler when we had dinner at my house. Do you remember this? No, no. But your dad is a pat. Your dad is kind of like Dan Levitard's like Poppy, right? He's like a passionate Dolphins passionate fan. Passionate Dolphins correct? fan. Who doesn't hold doesn't back. Doesn't hold back. Doesn't say much. But when he has something to say. He doesn't hold. What do you say about feet? All right, so you got to. You gotta, this is like me trying to recount. You just now I understand why people struggle because it's like, oh, they should all know where they were in the locker room. I don't remember. I do remember something else from your house. Yeah, my my dad may have used an expletive, um, or you know, two. or two in regards to Jay's play that season. You know, because this was shortly removed from Dan Marino when Dolphins fans were like, "What is going on?" Right? Tough transition. Tough transition. Tough why transition. is this guy playing quarterback? I don't understand. He stinks. The team stinks. Wanstead stinks. But then after he said what he said, he just went back to eating and we moved on. <laughs> to this day, I think when I see Mark Long sometimes, and that's another friend of ours, he now works, covers the Gators and the Jaguars, will we'll mention that to me. Um, my parents no longer live in that house, and I have not been back to Kendall since they moved out, but... West Wing Wednesday was just a lot of fun. Yeah, so West Wing Wednesdays, for the, yeah. there was like 10 of us that were all in the media industry, young part of our careers, and we would get together every Wednesday and watch the West Wing, and it was our thing, and then we would all break out, and you know, a group of us would be down at UM, some guys were covering the Dolphins, but we yes, was just it was. sort of our you thing. Know, Israel Gutierrez, who people know from down there, Jamie Eisenberg. Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Fantasy yes. uh, CBS Sports Fantasy and Beyond, and there's, just a, there's like a big group, group of know, us. Yeah, big group, and we were all- we were all single, Man, we were more. young, we didn't have, we did not young, have the responsibilities that we have now. <laughs> that we do today. Watch with your door locked and your daughter, your daughter's on, uh, your daughter is, is the banned door, from disrupting the door is you for locked, the last Josh, hour. The door is locked. Right. Is there some kind of penal code that goes in if she comes in? Like if she comes in, is there some sort of punishment? A, uh, a reprimand? 
Like she could come at this. It would be no big deal. But like, has, has, have we had any bad, uh, ES, like any funny ESPN bloopers, like uh, like a live hit? Well, and, and not like, like that comes poor in, one or... guy who had the daughter walk in in the middle of his, of his. And when I showed Annabelle that video, her eyes lit up like this is this is oh, this is what I'm going to do next. And that's when I had to put the lock on the door because I knew she was serious about making. The, oh, the door, oh, the door, is, the door is locked. The door is locked. See, I have to thank. So the good thing about this, it's audio only. So when, I'm at the office now, but when the kids come in, they um, they just kind of sneak uh -huh. around. They like, get low and they do the crab walk and, and grab. I'm like, guys, you can just come in say hi to this side of whoever it is. It's no big deal. No one's going to actually see it. We, we all sort of uh, we all have the same uh, concerns <laughs> that that like my biggest concern from doing all this is I pray this even um, this is like episode 80. And I'm like, I, even when we're done, I'm like, I pray this recorded. I pray this recorded. I, that's well, what goes through my head every time. So anyways, thank um, you. Thank you. I know we took up a little more time, but it, that's is. what happens when it we storytell. I'm Me glad too. your boss has said yes. And I can't. Do I know when I'm going to see you? Like, do you have a game mapped out yet that you are we on the schedule? Not the yet. We only yet? have the first two weeks mapped out. You're not coming. to. I am not. I will be uh, I'll be in Pittsburgh <laughs> uh, for the backyard brawl, which I'm excited to uh, go to. I was at the last one, so I had to be at this one. Well, I was even as uh, someone who was pro Miami, I would say uh, that's a yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good choice. So that's where I will be in uh, week one. I already asked about week three. I know. Join us. 9 that that one is a TBD. So we'll see. Yeah, there's one at the end of the year that might. Uh, yeah. Grab just, your attention. Just, well. I, I, there's just a little one. <laughs> yeah. All thank right. you, Josh. Andrew, thank you. OK, bye. All right. We'll see you around.